0: Jennifer Isabella and I'm Melissa Parrish, your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. This week, we're revisiting an episode on a topic that many organizations struggle with, how to design a chatbot that customers will embrace. In addition to the advice in this episode, we have a new complimentary guide to designing better chatbots. You can download it at four.com slash chatbots or click the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And now on to the episode. Today, we're joined by VP and principal analyst, David Troge, to discuss how to design and build better chatbots. Welcome, David.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So I feel like when chatbots came onto the scene, it's like, oh, they're going to solve every possible problem tech-wise on my website, my mobile app, what have you. But... Let's just maybe level set. Where are chatbots playing today? What are the use cases that we'll be sort of discussing and maybe unpacking today in today's conversation?
1: Yeah, it's true. There was a lot of excitement initially, and you can understand that because, you know, we're human beings, we need to communicate to get something done. And that communication, if it relies on uh, human natural language, as opposed to having to click through a website or some other method of interacting with computers. Well, wow, how appealing is that? That sounds wonderful, right? If it works. Uh, And the problem is that um, conversational AI and the rest of the technology that underlies chatbots um, is largely in its infancy. And so uh, it's been disappointing uh, in a lot of cases. Um, Those specific cases, uh, the, the, the use cases for chatbots Um, you know, have fallen into, I'd say, two broad categories. One is companies trying to improve the customer experience, um, or I'd rather say the user experience to include employees because chatbots also apply there, uh, improving UX um, or uh, lowering costs, right? So the motivation for improving the customer experience, um, of course, is that in the case of customers, uh, you're generating more revenue, which is attractive to any business. Um, In a lot of situations, though, Uh, Companies are going to chatbots because they want to reduce costs, specifically the cost of customer service and of staffing customer service contact centers with humans who are either taking phone calls or engaging in what's called live chat, which just means human to human uh, chat. And they'd like to be able to replace that with a chat bot uh, since that's much more affordable. At least over time, the thought is that it is more affordable. That's the most common uh, use case.
2: So just yesterday, I was speaking with another analyst uh, who talks about chatbots. Uh, and they said that they were they had a question from a client, which was, can you separate for me what kind of chatbot is good and what kind of chatbot sucks? And I jokingly said, all of them, they all suck, which is not true. Um, I was obviously being hyperbolic. But I wonder if you could separate out for us, David, what is the what's the problem? How come chatbots haven't lived up to the hype? How come you both just laughed when I talked about how badly chatbots have been working for us?
1: Well, I think it's a matter of expectations, right? Because I completely agree with you. They're terrible if you expect a lot from them. Some of them are okay or even pretty good if you have low expectations. And a big part of the problem is just right up front, a lot of chatbots will say, how can I help you? Which sounds great, right? You can see why somebody would program them to do that, um, because that's what a friendly store clerk would say, for example, or a customer service agent. The problem is, it sets the expectation that the chat- chatbot can do a lot more than it really can today, at least. Um, and therefore, you start happy, and then it's all downhill from there because the chatbot starts saying, uh, "I don't understand what you mean. Could you repeat that?" You know, and eventually, it might say, "I can help you with the following three things." which it should have said in the first place, right? If it had said that right up front, um, then you can actually be helpful and by helpful with customers by setting your expectations to something that corresponds with reality. And there are companies doing that and doing subtle but very powerful things. For example, using uh, a little graphical representation of the bot that deliberately looks kind of like a comic book character that's kind of simple. Uh, and you want to communicate that your chatbot is a simpleton, or as one of my interviewees put it, when I was doing research for a series of reports on this topic of chatbot design, um, chatbots are island geniuses. Uh, they're simpletons, right? They, they, and the idea of island genius is really smart about a very small area, um, and if you try to go beyond that, they can't do it. Uh, so it's very, it's, it's, it's very important to um, recognize the limited capabilities and be upfront about that uh, so that you don't disappoint people by setting expectations way, way too high.
2: It's very often I see chatbots in the context of uh, retailer e-commerce experiences where it's like, oh, well, I need help with this order. Like, oh, well, I can't look up that order because you have to sign in and then you have to click this and you have to, well, then actually you can't help me. And if they had just said at the beginning, I can help you with, you know, our return policy and, you know, this thing and that thing. My expectations would have been much lower.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's why so so I think there are two dimensions to what you're saying there. One is that uh, chatbots for now and for the foreseeable future are going to have to remain simple. You're going to have to keep your ambitions modest. But even within that, there's sort of another growth or evolution curve which is that in deploying your own chatbot, if you own, for example, if you control a retail website, you want to start with a very modest chatbot and iterate and make it better and better. Again, it's not going to be great anytime soon; it just isn't. Um, but start with something modest that can be helpful. Um, you know, one of the one of the, my interviews for this research, in fact, um, uh, is a retailer. It was uh, uh, the CIO of PacSun, and she was talking about how PacSun uh, rolled out uh, their uh, chatbot during the early stages of the pandemic, when they were just flooded with um, online orders that they had not uh, prepared for, obviously, like most businesses. Um, and they had to roll out that technology very quickly. And they did it initially for very simple things. Uh, you know, if you think about it, the simplest kind of request uh, for a chatbot would be informational, not transactional. In other words, tell me something like, what's your return policy? Well, that's easy, right? Because you just need to. Understand roughly those words and then look up some static text and spit it back. That's it. Whereas if you say, I'd like to modify the order I placed yesterday evening, whoa, that's more complex. You need to not only understand what that means, but look up an order and then be able to make modifications in a database, you know, much more complex. So it would not make sense uh, to tackle that first. First you want to tackle those static informational requests.
0: Are you seeing like, you know, we as consumers are kind of, getting burned by chatbots with our high expectations but i'm assuming on the on the flip side are you seeing you know clients being like this is going to solve or reduce you know costs tremendously and sort of going into with uh too high of expectations and assumptions of how it's going to impact overhead or their business um because i imagine actually in the example that melissa just provided Now you have a really frustrated customer on your hands who will be likely a little bit more upset going into a customer service call, which will maybe be longer than it initially needed to be. I mean, the sort of like domino effect of bad technology, in this case, a chatbot could have ripple effects. And then obviously, you know, from a client perspective, feeling a little burned on on investing there
1: yeah absolutely. That's a really good insight, Jen. In fact, that domino effect uh, happens a lot where uh, the 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 customer service agent who ends up taking the call is dealing with somebody who's much more stressed because the chatbot was not able to solve their problem. Um, and uh, that and of course, the chatbot is able to solve some of the problems. So the agent is getting the subset of customers who already have more complex problems, right? So, you're going to have to deal with more complexity and some emotional stress coming in that's become kind of bottled up because it wouldn't have happened if they'd gotten directly to a human. So what does that mean for you know the pressure on your uh, contact center staff, even on your hiring and training practices? Um, you know, Do you need to train them to have better just uh, emotional intelligence for dealing with those situations? So those are kind of the, the, the risks. But you're right that upfront, because of the promise of chatbots, there's a lot of excitement about rolling them out. Um, And often, unfortunately, because of that, there's a lot of hurry uh, and the mistake that a lot of the folks I interviewed about this and about their experience rolling out chatbots, what they described is a lot of companies make the mistake of thinking of it purely as an IT project. Um, Because yes, there is a lot of technology involved, just assigning it to a dev team and saying, go for it. Um, And unfortunately, what is missing in that picture is experience design, um, understanding the humans who are going to be using the chatbot and understanding the processes and techniques that designers are able to use to, bo- to go from uh, the research that's required to understand the, the needs of users uh, to uh, iterating through prototypes of the chatbot, rolling it out, tuning it over time. So um, I'm not saying IT is not involved, of course, it's hugely important, um, but the two are complementary. And need to go together, and that came up again and again um, in, in my interviews. The need for for both of those things, and and the the reason you know sometimes I think there's just ignorance, like well, it's just technology, so let's assign it to a dev team. Sometimes, though, I think there is a realization that well, design would be nice to involve, but we just don't have time. We have to get this chatbot out there quickly. Uh, unfortunately, that backfires because then you roll out the chatbot, and um, not only does it underperform, but it actually uh, backfires because your customers get angry or unhappy. Um, and it makes the situation worse instead of making it better. Um, which is why it's really, really important to have design involved up front.
2: I actually think we should unpack that a little bit because I think when we say experience design, it's so easy to get stuck in, um, the frame of mind that it is how, uh, buttons and dropdowns and navigation work on mm-hmm. a screen. Uh, You know, websites, sure, mobile websites or some sort of uh, hands on keyboard experience when really now that that the way consumers are interacting with technology uh, is changing so vastly um, and human computer interaction is taking on these different modalities, voice and whatnot experience design is still required. It's just a little bit different because it's not about, is it a radio button or you know multiple choice kind of uh, scenario? Can you tell us a little bit more um, for the non-experts out there, what kinds of elements of experience design apply when we're not talking about something visual or tactical?
1: Yes, and that's a really good point. And I think there are kind of two, two dimensions to what you're describing there, Melissa. One is that um, when you're dealing with a modality uh, that is non-visual, uh, so whether you're if your chatbot is text, there's not a lot of visuals, right? It's just a box that you're typing in, and there are maybe bubbles going back and forth containing text, uh, or if it's a voice-based chatbot, there's uh, even less, right? It may just be a hardware device with no visuals, basically, um, and so people may people who have a certain understanding the design that is that is just about the surface might say well what's what why do you need a designer in the case of voice there there is no design except maybe some industrial design for the smart speaker that the voice assistant is based in if that's what they're imagining um and for a chatbot um, that's on a website in a little box at the bottom right of the browser what is there to design a square choosing the color and the font of the bubbles going back and forth there's that's not much to that right um but uh, the reality is that, uh, first of all, design uh, goes deeper than that and always has, even before we had this, these modalities. It's not just about the surface. Um, it's about the interaction design. It's about the, the understanding the information architecture, uh, the mental models of the user, and how those map to the architecture of uh, the data that underlies the system. So all of that is part of design and user experience. Um, and is intimately tied, of course, to the development process um, of the software that underlies these systems. The second dimension um, is what you were alluding to and talking about new modalities that it's true that these are these are you know, because you're dealing with uh, text and voice, um, but that fundamentally you're about human language, uh, there's a new element that did not appear in designing those traditional graphical user interfaces. Um, and in fact, an entirely new discipline has emerged around it called conversation design. Um, and you know, conversation designer is now a job title. If you do some uh, googling, you'll find a, a bunch of job listings, more and more companies looking for conversation designers, because there's a recognition that understanding sort of the flow of a dialogue, the back and forth, that's a thing. <laughs> um, you know, some companies made a mistake early on of thinking like, well, what does a chatbot do? All right, questions and answers. Ooh, we have an FAQ on our website, frequently asked questions, some questions and some answers. So what we'll do is we'll just set up the chatbot to recognize those questions and then it could just pump out those answers that we've already written. Well, that's not a conversation. That's not how humans interact, right? First of all, people are gonna ask the questions in many different ways, not necessarily the way you had them in the FAQ. Secondly, uh, pumping out answers that are long chunks of static text uh, that that are that you've just kind of you know written in advance that are based on assumptions about what people want to know um, is not a recipe for success. Uh, I don't want to shoot that down as um, useless. It can be a useful starting point, but just a seed for developing your system uh, for maybe thinking about like, well, okay, these are some things that we've assumed. Uh, our users would want to know whether customers or employees. And these are the things that we believe are helpful answers, um, but we probably need to break them up a little bit. Um, we need to introduce the notion of conversational turns of back and forth. Um, you know, a chat bot uh, does not engage in uh, a speech, right? Um, or giving a 45 minute presentation. Uh, if you think about it that way in a voice context or, you know, this back and forth that I'm having with you is sort of a conversation, but because it's an interview, there's a little bit of an asymmetry. I'm doing more of the talking. That's sort of expected, although I'm probably being a little long-winded right now. Um, But still, there's some back and forth, right? Uh, And with a chatbot, it's the same thing. Um, You would want to equip your chatbot to give an answer, but then uh, leave the possibilities open for where the user might want to go next. Similarly, users tend to not say everything right up front. Like kind of like if you go into a store, you might say, um, I want to buy three shirts. You don't immediately say three shirts in size large in the following three colors. You know, bang, bang, bang. That's not how people speak. So the store clerk would say, oh, you know, what's your size? Um, Well, here are some colors we have. Do those sound interesting? Would you like others? And you can imagine a similar kind of scenario for customer service, uh, my modem is broken, or uh, my vacuum cleaner is making a weird noise. Oh, what model of vacuum cleaner? When did it start, right? You don't, not everything up shows up right up front. So the bot needs to be able to go back and forth and do what, you know, in the lingo is called identifying the intent. In other words, what is the desired action behind the utterance, the thing the person said, and there are many possible ways of saying the thing that would map to a single intent. And then within that intent, there are what are known as slots or parameters or variables, which would be, for example, okay, you have a problem with your vacuum cleaner, which model? And there are seven different models. And so you need to identify that the chatbot needs to know. So it needs to be able to come back and ask that question. So that 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 dialogue, that back and forth uh, is a whole art and science. And I deliberately say art and science because um, those two elements are are part of it. They're extremely important technical elements. Um, and then, uh, you know, for for the uh, conversation design aspect of it that I'm sort of for shorthand, as shorthand calling art, um, that's why companies are hiring people who uh, have uh, skills in uh, linguistics, in writing dialogue, either for novels or even better for plays, theater people, Melissa, like you, um, and who understand.
2: Finally, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, the super practical uh, application and skill here. Um, and who understand also kind of the anthropological dimension of how do people actually speak? That
0: sounds amazing, David, what you just described. Are there some you know, clients who have this in practice today in their, in their chatbot or, um, you know, I don't know, maybe their team members have linguistic backgrounds or, you know, how this sort of has come to life in um, current experiences?
1: Yes. um, There are a lot of companies that either have those people on staff or work with consultancies or agencies that have some of those people. Um, They're hard to get, and um, they're commanding a pretty high price these days also, I found through my research. So one of the companies I uh, interviewed uh, on this topic is, in fact, an agency that did an app for Planned Parenthood, which I think illustrates this quite well on several fascinating levels. So the app that Planned Parenthood, um, or rather the need that Planned Parenthood wanted to address up front was to help uh, teenagers specifically uh, get answers to their questions about sexual health. And they didn't know that it was going to be a chatbot up front. Um, They uh, partnered with uh, this consultancy, this agency, its name is Work & Co, um, to understand um, what might be the best way to do it. And First of all, they identified chat as a modality that teenagers would appreciate um, as opposed to uh, you know using search through a knowledge base on a website or something um, or calling a hotline to get answers that a chat bot would be appealing. and that's it's very interesting here because there there's actually a benefit to dealing with anonymous bot because you know teenagers are asking questions that are maybe a little bit socially taboo. Uh, that they might be reluctant to open up to an adult about directly in some cases. And so it's actually very comforting to deal with a bot. Um, It's the opposite. In other words, it's not a compromise, right? Sometimes we think of chatbots as like, well, it'd be better for a human, but to save money, we'll use a bot. Well, it's actually better in this case. Um, But then one of the things they had to do is think, all right, it's good to have the sort of the clinicalness of the bot And it's actually not a human. On the other hand, the way adolescents are going to ask these questions, um, it's not going to be clinical language. So what is the language that adolescents use now? Because, of course, it changes um, about these topics. And so they had to do some anthropological research and hang out with some teenagers and ask them questions um, and speak with them to understand the, the lingo, the language, and the way they might say these things. Uh, because the bot had to be able to speak like them, understand them uh in order to be able to respond effectively. And you can translate that to many other domains of course. Uh you know, one of my uh interviewees uh is a, a provider of uh bots for uh traders, professional traders um and uh, and brokers. And in that case, there's a very specialized language that they use of course that Uh, none of the three of us would understand because it's technical language used in the finance industry, or at least I would not, I shouldn't, you, the two, either of you might, but not me. Um, Gosh, no. (laughs) And uh, the, uh, so, so their bot um, has very specific uh, expertise domains, like within finance, there are sort of very specialized domains and they have bots that specialize in each of those. Um, And that is sort of, you know, that's, Very different than speaking to teenagers about uh, their sexual health questions, Um, but there's just as much a specialized lingo. Um, And this sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that um, having a very specific scope is uh, super important. And that concretely means uh, identifying the list of intents. You know, scope may seem a little abstract. Well, it's like, okay, what are the 10 intents or 100 intents maybe that your bot is going to be able to address? Make that list. Now, figure out the 10,000 ways people might say those 100 things um, because in natural language, it's not just they clicked this menu, then they went to this screen, right? There are a thousand different ways of saying that. It's one of the fundamentals of linguistics is the infinite generative capability of language, um, which used to seem like sort of an abstraction. Well, here it's really impacting businesses and websites and apps very concretely. Um, and so recognizing which utterance, uh, which intent the utterance maps to, and then going from the utterance to actually doing something useful, that that set of utterances and what the things are that it can do, that's the scope very concretely.
2: So one of the things that you just mentioned, David, that we haven't really talked about uh, at all um, so far, is this idea that the chatbot was not just a convenient tool or an efficient tool, but it was the right one uh, for what Planned Parenthood was trying to accomplish. It reminds me of many years ago um, when I was a a young analyst and you were my RD, (laughs) and I was covering (laughs) um, uh, communities, social media and communities. Um, I ran across this use case for communities that went poorly because uh, it was a community set up to discuss different types of cancer. And what the provider, the healthcare provider had discovered was that there's some kinds of cancer that people want to create a community around. They want to talk about to other people who are dealing with skin cancer or breast cancer or other kinds of of, um, commonly discussed cancers. But there are other kinds. People are, it is still... It's taboo. It feels weird. You want to get answers to questions. You want to know what people's experiences have been, but you don't necessarily want to like join a community and identify yourself as um, as having this disease. I mention all of that because chatbots were not a thing back then. Now I can see that being an incredible use case for that kind of community. And I wonder if you have other ideas of the kinds of places where. Chatbots will not just be in the future when they're better, <laughs> will not just be more efficient um, or uh, or cool, but actually the right tool. Are there ways you can think of that that chatbots will evolve to be the modality of choice?
1: I think that um the most interesting way they will become the modality of choice is when botanists Is more attractive than humanness. Uh, In other words, there is this, you know, there are times when you want your bot to feel as human as possible, but it's a mistake to think that that's always a goal. So, one of the things that uh, companies do, for example, for a lot of chatbots, which may sound silly when you hear it, but it actually makes a difference, is have a deliberate delay. um, Because often the chatbot, if the intent you expressed uh, is something it can address, it knows the answer instantly, right, in microseconds. But if it answers that fast, uh, humans are a little weirded out. Like wh- that's you know that's strange, right? Um, because a human, uh, whether it's live chat, uh, meaning human-human text chat or a voice conversation, would take it maybe a second or at least a half a second. But even that is detectable, right? As like okay, I'm speaking with a human, whereas it feels a little machine-like and robotic if the bot responds instantly. However, in some circumstances. That might be entirely fine, and the botness is a virtue. It's an attribute. That it's something that you want to promote, um, because of the privacy situ- situations that I that I described a moment ago. But longer term, I think the very interesting direction this is going is that what chatbots do and what search does are actually very closely related. They're not the same, but there is a lot of overlap. So if you think about the way you search for things, you. You know, type some words into a search bar. Some people are kind of used to thinking in terms of keywords because they speculate at least about what the algorithm is doing. Other people write well-punctuated questions with a question mark at the end, and then there's a whole range in between. Well, they, there's, there's kind of the psychology of asking a question, which you might think about with a bot as well. And people have similar behaviors with bots. Some people ask a question, other people treat it just like search even the technology behind it, depending on which vendor you're dealing with, uh, there are differences. Some of them are actually keyword-based. There is no AI. And some of them um, use natural language processing and are quite sophisticated or a mix between the two. So the reason I say all this is, is sort of as context for the fact that ultimately, I believe they're going to converge. There will not be a difference between chat bots and search bars. And secondly, the chat experience will, instead of being, say, like a Box at the lower right of the browser um, or a feature you go to in your app, um, it will be uh, ubiquitous in the experience. So, for example, um, you know how when you're filling out a form on the web, um, if you hesitate for a moment with your mouse near one of the fields, um, you might get a little uh, tiny box with some text and explanatory text that pops up. Um, this is called a tooltip, a bit of a strange name, but um, or sometimes hover text. Well, what if instead of that being uh, static text instead or in addition contained a little chat box where you could start asking questions um, about what this field is for or how you should answer it um, or what a, you know if it's say asking for you know information from your tax return and you could ask for you know, which page, which box and more specifics or could, can I provide this instead or or maybe ask well why do you need this information? Um, you know all kinds of things that are not possible to do right now. Because what do you have to do right now? You usually have to go to some other page, find an FAQ or a knowledge base, or call somebody up. Um, so those are situations where um, the bot is the right answer, right? There's no way a human would ever be able to address those uh, those tiny cases. And essentially, you want uh, an integrated search engine and conversational AI that is present uh, in context with the task that you're doing and at the place. That you're doing it right then, right there.
0: Is that five years from now, ten years from now? Because I I like what you're saying, so I'd like to experience this in my lifetime at least.
1: For this to truly truly happen, in the way I describe, with convergence of search and conversational AI, I'm I'm going to say ten, and I'll be delighted if it's five. Uh, it'll be happening sooner uh, in attempts, but they'll they'll be failing. They'll be falling all of themselves. Sure. Um, but uh, but it'll be it'll be the beginnings of it. But I haven't seen it yet. Um, that's anywhere, which is interesting to me. But I think this it's got to be where we're headed. Now, conversely, there are other situations where you absolutely would not want to have a chatbot, or it might be, at least be inadvisable. And I can give you a couple examples from my a couple of examples from some of the interviews I did. Ah, uh, one was uh, from a, a conversation with. Uh, Ibrahim Khoury at Alight Solutions, uh, which provides um, HR solutions, among other things, um, and and broader uh, business process outsourcing solutions. And um, what Ibrahim described to me is their uh, chatbot solutions um, for their clients will deliberately identify a situation where, say, if an employee, like I said, is about HR, right? So if an employee is asking a question about benefits, and happens to mention that the, uh, that the question has to do with a death in the family, they immediately take that as a signal that this is inappropriate for chatbot. Like, get this get this person to a human, ASAP, uh, because chatbots uh, say goofy things sometimes. And um, when somebody is talking about a death in their family, that will be the worst time for to have a goofy chatbot um, interaction. So transfer to human. Uh, another one of my interviewees pointed out that uh, let's say you're a financial services company, uh, and you are uh, you've deployed a chatbot that is you know post login so you know who you're dealing with, you know this client, and based on information about them, including for example their net worth, you might identify them as a client whose uh, customer lifetime value is very high, and you would like to give them kind of the VIP kid glove treatment. Um, and that also might be a moment when you'd like to transfer them to a human SAP if you believe that for what they're trying to do, a human is going to be able to address those needs uh, better.
0: So David, we obviously had a, a deep conversation about chatbots and we did highlight some really great use cases and experiences, but you know, we sort of ragged on them a little bit throughout this conversation as well. So can you share your thoughts about the future of of chatbots and, you know, where they're going and how you see those experiences developing.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we have been ragging on them and for good reason. You know, they have a bad reputation, but it's well-deserved. At the same time, I'm really bullish about the long-term. I mean, this is really exciting, I think, for humans to be able to interact with technology using a more human modality, speaking, right? The way we speak to each other or write to each other. Uh, we don't uh, have to interact with each other by uh, selecting from menus on nav bars. That would make human interaction very frustrating. So that's a wonderful promise. I think we just have to recognize that it's very early days. It's very early days in terms of the technology, but also in terms of customers' uh, comfort with the technology. Um, the way companies, and I, I mean, and I mean both classes of customers, the users, and also the companies that are deploying these. I mean, when I interviewed the team at Google, for example, for this research, it's very interesting because they are developers of Dialogflow, one of the leaders in the AI for chatbots. But they actually told me they recommended that companies not start with the AI, start with a purely rules-based, deterministic chatbot, and move on to using natural language processing later on. In other words, they were not say don't they're not saying don't use AI. They're saying most companies actually just don't have the maturity, the skills. And the readiness to even deal with the complexities of machine learning up front. First, just get their feet wet building a deterministic chatbot. And then plan to mature gradually towards using natural language processing. So I think the situation we're in today is one of, you know, it's kind of like getting into the elevator and uh, to go up to the 100th floor. And, you know, ding, we have arrived at the second floor. That's kind of where we're at in terms of natural language processing um but it doesn't mean there isn't a 100th floor it's way up there or you could call it the you know journey of a thousand leagues begins with a single step or whatever metaphor you prefer um but it's very very early in terms of maturity um but i am bullish about the long term uh potential that is going to involve you know integration between interactions with humans and interactions with um ais and the blending of those modalities i think is going to be really exciting
0: Great. Well, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.